Well, some of the music that we have heard and sung this morning may sound like something you would hear at a funeral service, but not just any funeral service, hymns that reflect eternal truths that believers would proclaim as they remember a life well lived and eternal truths that that God gives us through His Word. Music, as the choir sang a moment ago, that lasts forever. Music of forever. I do want to talk to you this morning as we open God's Word together about uh, the end of life, about what the Scriptures say about death and how we as believers, people of faith, people who believe in the God of Scripture, how we ought to approach death with faith. And as I was preparing for today and researching this subject some, I came across the words of uh, one fairly well-known physician, a hospice doctor. And Dr. Bach, in his book, Dying Well, wrote these words. He said, while death may cast a long shadow upon us as we journey through life, Americans typically refuse to notice. We stride ahead, looking toward a bright future, concentrating on health, and living fully. We exercise, eat fiber, know exactly how much fat we consume and exactly what type. We check ourselves for lumps. We make jokes about death to diminish its power using laughter to insulate ourselves from fear. But then, when death approaches, we are stunned and feel unprepared to deal with the situation we face. No doubt there are some, perhaps many in this room this morning, who can relate to some of those words. And the truth is, and we know this, that that death is real. And that death is no respecter of persons. The richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor alike face death. Death feels so uncertain. It feels so final. It feels so beyond our control. But even so, friends, I'm absolutely convinced that what we profess to believe about the God of the ages, the one and only God, the God of the Scriptures, must inform how we approach death and dying. In fact, I think we'll see from God's Word this morning that difficulty and death provide opportunities for believers to reveal the greatness of God. Difficulty and death in this life provide opportunities for us, for believers, for people of of faith, for followers of Jesus, to reveal the greatness of God. And I use that term reveal rather loosely, for God has already revealed Himself. He has made Himself known through His acts of creation, through His written Word. But certainly, as we believers... Proclaim the goodness of God. We participate in letting the rest of the world know about this great God that we serve. If the Bible does not ignore death, the creator of life does not downplay or diminish death. Psalm 116 verse 15 from which we heard moments ago says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His faithful servants. And I think the truth that's being communicated through that verse is 
the lives of believers, the lives of God's people are so cherished and so valuable and deeply loved by God that He does not allow any of us to depart this life outside of His plan or without His approval. For He is the sovereign God. He is the author of life. He is the sustainer of life. And by His grace, He is the redeemer of life through Jesus Christ. And as we absorb and believe those truths, then we will not only be on our way to living well as believers, but we will be on our way to dying well in a way that honors our Lord. So let me invite you to open the Scriptures with me this morning to the end of the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 49, as we come to the final section and indeed we'll enter into the final chapter of this portion of God's Word as we conclude this uh, first and foundational book of God's Word that uh, communicates truths that are part of who God is and who we are and uh, an integral part in our understanding His story and how He desires to write the stories of our lives as His people as well. So as you find your way to Genesis chapter 49, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Genesis chapter 49, beginning in verse 29. And there we read that, Then Jacob gave his sons these instructions. He said, I am about to be gathered to my people. A soft way of saying, I I am about to die. I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite. The cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. And then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, If I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, My father made me swear an oath and said, I am about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father, then I will return. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear to do. So Joseph went up to bury his father. The story continues. And Joseph and his other brothers depart with their belongings for this journey. And some of Pharaoh's officials, some of his dignitaries go with them. They make this journey into Canaan. They mourn the loss of Jacob. We pick up the story, verse 12. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, where Abraham had bought, which Abraham had bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. And after burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. Please bow with me in prayer. Father, we do ask you, we invite you to lead us now by the guidance and the power of your spirit and rightly 
understanding the truths of this portion of your word within the context of, of your story for us. Father, may our lives be changed as a result. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Friends, difficulty and death provide opportunities for us to reveal the greatness of God. And I think that is exactly what is taking place right here in Jacob's life as he approaches death. You know, sometimes in this life we know uh, that death is near. Other times it takes us by complete surprise. Well, in this case... The life of Jacob. Jacob knew that his time was near. He knew that his time had come. And so he has gathered his children. He's gathered his sons. And he begins to give them instructions relating to his death and his burial. And he says something like this. He says, when I die, don't bury me here in this land. Though I'm in Egypt now and have been for the last several years, don't bury me here. Take me back to the land of my ancestors. Take me back and bury me in that cave that my grandfather Abraham purchased in Canaan. In fact, it was there that my grandparents, Abraham and Sarah, were buried. It was there that my parents, Isaac and Rebekah, were buried. It's there that I buried my wife, Leah. So bury me there. Very specific instructions. I know that my perspective and uh, my feelings, no doubt, will change over Uh, the course of my life, as all of ours do. But at at this point, I'm thinking that whoever the responsible party is for my burial at the end of my life, I don't want them to spend any inordinate amount of money on, on me. In fact, a casket is fine. Cremation is fine. I, I, I know that this body is not my eternal home. You want to Bury me here, that's fine with me. Or take me to the land of my fathers, wherever that is, and that's fine with, with me too. Now, I know I'm being rather simplistic and maybe a bit short, and I apologize for, for that. But in all seriousness, if my life can somehow be used to point people to Jesus and life in Him, then yes, do that. But don't go too far out of your way for me. Keep things simple. Well, good old Father Jacob had a bit of a different approach. He had some quite specific instructions. In essence, he tells his his sons, get ready. Don't bury me here among these pagans. You better start packing things up because you've got quite a journey ahead of you. You better get the horses ready. You better get your belongings ready because you've got 200 miles to travel back to Hebron in Canaan. Oh yeah, you better go ahead and put some time in, for request in for some time off, because this is going to take a while. You may have noticed here in the text that Jacob was embalmed, and we're told that that was a 40-day process then. We're also told that they mourned for him for 70 days before setting out on this journey. Now granted, Jacob was given some special treatment here, probably because of Joseph's status before the king, that Hebrews were not normally embalmed. They were normally buried the same day. But the grieving process or the mourning process normally lasted anywhere from 7 to 30 days. But in any event, this was not a funeral that you were going to attend on your lunch break. This was a big deal. So what's the point here? I think this is the point. I think 
The point is that Jacob's instructions for his children regarding his death and his burial revealed his faith in God. His approach to his own pending death revealed that he believed in God's promises. And likewise, church, our faith in God's promises should be demonstrated in our approach to death. Our faith in God's promises who he is and what he's said that he is going to do should be demonstrated in our approach to death. So here's Jacob. He knows on the basis of what God has said to Abraham and to Isaac and now to him, he knows on the basis of those words from the Lord that Egypt is not his home. This is not the home of God's people in that time. He knows that on the basis of what God has said, that the land of Canaan, the promised land, is to be given to his offspring. And so his instructions regarding his burial back in Canaan reveal that he has steadfast faith in the promises of God. In other words, even though he has not seen these things unfold in his own life, he still believes that they are going to happen. So I want to ask you this morning, how, how do you view death? How do you respond to death? How are you preparing for death? Are you prepared for death? How do you declare and reveal the greatness of our our God as the eternal and sovereign God, even in the face of difficulty and, and death? For difficulty and death provide opportunities for believers to reveal the greatness of God. Church, our Our faith in God's promises should be, must be demonstrated in our approach to death. And secondly, we see here from this story in God's word that our faith in God's providence should be demonstrated in our response to evil. Our faith in God's providence, His guidance, His care, His sovereignty must be demonstrated in our response to evil. It's no secret that family drama often unfolds when someone dies. Perhaps you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've witnessed this in your own family. Maybe you've seen it in someone else's family. But when mommy and daddy are gone, siblings often fight. Perhaps death provides a circumstance for some to reveal their true Character And in this particular story, tension unfolds when daddy is gone. So let's look back at the text. Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 15. The story continues. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. In other words, daddy told us to tell you this. He said, I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. We're told when when their message came to Joseph, he wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then he tells them, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. 
So remember that Joseph had been grossly mistreated by his own brothers. A fit of jealous rage. They had planned to take his life before deciding rather to sell him to a passing caravan of foreigners. And they must be thinking that perhaps Joseph at this later stage has been kind to them. He has acted as if he has forgiven them simply because he doesn't want to upset his father. Well, now that Jacob is gone, now that dad is gone, maybe Joseph's true colors are going to come out. His brothers can't believe that he has already fully forgiven them for that is counter to human nature. But the truth is that Joseph had, he had taken the high road was looking at things from a different perspective, recognizing that his life was not the center of all things. That his life and the lives of others, though important in God's plan and purposes and design, is not the center of of all. And so 2,000 years before Paul penned those well-known words to the church in Rome that have become some of the most favorite words of Christians throughout the centuries. That, and, we, and we know in all things that God loves those. Losing, losing my memory here. but God loves those who have been called according to His purpose. And we know that in all things God works for the good. There we go. There it is. Works for the good of those who, who love Him. <laughs> he does love those, by the way. Works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Well, 2,000 years before Paul penned those words that some have memorized, Joseph conveys the same truth, the Old Testament equivalent of it right here in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph, characterized by faith in God's providence and faith in God's character, faith in God's plan, even in the face of evil. And likewise, friends, when we encounter evil in this life, when we witness evil in this life, as we do, let's exercise faith in God. Let's trust God. Let's trust God. For like Joseph, we don't see the rest of the story. We don't get to witness the whole story at this stage, but we know who the one is who is writing the story, and he is trustworthy. So let's trust in him. Difficulty and death provide opportunities for us as believers, as people of faith, to reveal the greatness of our, our God. Remember that character in the New Testament, Peter, a follower of of Jesus, who was often quick to speak, but one who became a close friend of our Lord. Well, no doubt, it was perhaps the most devastating, heartbreaking day in his life when his leader, when his Lord, when his master was unjustly arrested and crucified as a criminal on the cross. And yet, Days later, as he encountered the resurrected Lord and the Spirit empowered him and all things began to make sense again, he had a whole different perspective on what had unfolded. And I think his words to his listeners recorded in Acts chapter 3 are 
instructive for us and helpful for us as believers trying to understand these truths today. So, in fact, let me invite you to join me there. I want you to see this in Acts chapter 3, far to the right, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And so here in Acts, church is spreading, the early days of the church. And the beginning of Acts chapter 3, Peter has performed a miracle by the power of God. He's healed a, a lame beggar who is now walking, and as a result of this miracle, now he has a platform to share not about physical healing, but about something far greater, and that is the spiritual healing that God has brought through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sin. So listen to what Peter says to his audience, beginning in Acts chapter 3, verse 13. He says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. He says, you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one, a reference to Jesus, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this by faith in the name of Jesus. This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you All can see. Now, don't miss this. Verse 17, he goes on. He says, Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance. In other words, in your arrest and crucifixion of Jesus, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Verse 21, final verse. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. In other words, this is what Peter says. He has a captivated audience because they've seen this incredible miracle, and he tells them, Hey, you guys messed up bad. You killed Jesus, who was not a criminal. He was the Son of God and Savior of the world. No, he was indeed the author of life. And you took his life wrongly, unjustly. You messed up. But then he goes on to say, but this was part of the plan of God. And friends, that in no way is to say that God endorses any evil or ever endorses human sin. But the God that we worship, the God of the Scriptures, is a God who accomplishes His purposes despite human sin. So friends, let's trust in Him. He is worthy of our lives. He is worthy of our trust. Let's trust in Him and let's forgive quickly. When we experience wrongs in this life, when people commit sins against us, let's forgive them quickly as Joseph did his brothers. For even our Savior, Jesus Christ, hung on the cross and cried out to his Father. According to Luke chapter 23, verse 34, he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive those who have wrongly accused me. Forgive those who chanting death threats. Forgive those who are carrying out my execution. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Friends, let's forgive others because we serve a God who forgives us. Let's forgive like Jesus. Let's forgive like Joseph. Let's trust God and forgive quickly. But that doesn't mean that we downplay evil. It doesn't mean that we overlook the evil and injustice that we see and witness and perhaps experience in this life. No, let's love and pray for victims of evil. Let's love and pray for victims of evil. Friends, what took place two weeks ago today, as we woke up, saw what had taken place in Orlando late into the night, what took place was a horrendous outworking of evil that is dishonoring to God, the God who has made human life in His likeness, in His image, and who cherishes and values all of human life. And so we ought to grieve with those who grieve the loss of human life. I have no doubt that God has already and is already and will continue to to bring about some good through these horrific events, but that in no way means that any of this is honoring to God. It is not. So let's love and let's pray for the victims of the Orlando massacre and for other victims of evil around the world. Let's trust God. Let's forgive quickly. Let's love and pray for victims of evil. Because our faith in God's providence should be demonstrated, must be shown in our response to evil. And finally, we see from Scripture today that our faith in God's continuing plan should be expressed as we face death. Our faith in God's continuing plan, His eternal plan of redemption, should be expressed as we face death. So let's look at the end of this story. Genesis chapter 50, final few verses, beginning in verse 22. And there we read these words. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. In other words, Joseph lived a long life. He saw his children. He saw grandchildren. He even saw great-grandchildren. Verse 24, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. A little more direct than his father was. I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up from this place. Verse 26. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. We're not given as many details about the grieving process over Joseph's life as we are his father's earlier in this portion of the story. But Joseph's faith is very similar to that of his father Jacob's as each of them approach death. And there are some things that I think we can take away, some things that we can learn, some things that we can notice from his response to his pending death. Firstly, God gives assurance. God gives assurance to his people. The reality is that death is not fun. Death is painful. Painful for those that stay behind. Death causes loved ones to grieve, and rightly so. But we as believers know that death is not the end. And it's for this reason 
Joseph continued to point forward to the future, saying in verse 24, he said, but God will surely come to your aid. And then again, in the very next verse, verse 25, he says, God will surely come to your aid. God gives assurance that his presence and his purposes and his power will continue despite our deaths. And we also are reminded here that God not only gives assurance, but God provides deliverance. God is a God who who brings deliverance. Again, the words of Joseph, he says, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, it's maybe some time down the road, but God has said that he is going to do this. He has said that he is going to deliver you. He's going to deliver his people. He's going to deliver our descendants. And guess what? And so it happened. Hundreds of years later, approximately 400 years later, God uses Moses to deliver the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, out of the land of slavery into a new land. And similarly, roughly 2,000 years later, God sent his son to this earth on a mission to deliver his people from bondage, the bondage of sin and death, the baggage of what we have done in rebelling against our maker. And just as God said it would happen, and so it happened. And even so, friends, who believe in this God, who trust in Jesus Christ, we know that he is coming again. That just as the scriptures say, Jesus, who has come once to provide salvation and forgiveness of sins by his death on the cross of Calvary, will return one day and gather his people and usher us into eternity. And for this reason, we can join with John. The words of Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. And we as believers can confidently say, come, Lord Jesus. We await the day for God will surely come again. God gives assurance. God brings deliverance. And finally, we see here that God provides comfort. God provides comfort. Death is difficult, but God is the God of all comfort. We know that this life is but a passing moment in grand plans of of God. So let's trust in Him and cling to the comfort that He provides. Difficulty and death provide opportunities for believers to reveal the greatness of God. So church, let's cling to God's promises. Let's cling to God's promises for He is a God who is faithful. His word is true. His promises will unfold. He has come once. He is coming again. Let's cling to God's promises and let's live for eternity. Knowing that this is not our final resting place. Knowing that this is not our home. That we await the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's cling to God's promises. Let's live for eternity. And finally, let's proclaim the hope of Jesus Christ. It's people who know the gospel. It's people who've heard the incredible truth that God loves us and has accomplished a way for us to be reconciled to him and live abundantly and eternally with him. Let's proclaim 
the hope of Jesus Christ. For Jacob and Joseph and countless other believers have faced death with hope, knowing that this world is not their home. Fourth century preacher John Chrysostom said this about death. He said, Christians rejoice and exalt at death like people moving from one life to another. Christians rejoice and exalt at death like people moving from one life to another. Will you be able to rejoice and praise God even at death because you know that you are moving from one life to another, one that is better, one that is eternal, one where there is no more pain, there is no more suffering, there is no more death, only the presence of your maker, savior, and Lord. I want to leave you with the words that Paul gave Titus, recorded in Titus chapter 2, verse 13. He said, we wait, Christians, we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Let's pray. Father, we... We do thank you today for your plans, the plans that involve salvation that has been extended to us by your grace, not because of anything that we have done or deserve, but because you love us. Father, we thank you for that love. We thank you for the blessed hope we have in and through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for an eternal perspective. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. And Father, we pray that you would continue to remind us of it as we pilgrim in this world. Or as we walk and travel and live here for a little while. Father, we await the return of the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And until that day, Father, lead us to you, draw us to you, that our lives may honor you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.